Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome to the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. How are you? I am doing well. I'm doing Good. well. We are we are now, it really feels like we're kind of in the, really the the main part of the offseason, I guess. People are starting to talk draft. We haven't even had the Super Bowl yet, but eh, we don't care about that. We're ready to move on. We're looking at these rookies and finally starting to see a few trades trickle into my leagues. Matt, I heard you made a trade today. I did, and it seems like a lot of the leagues are starting to pick up a little bit, like you said. I think Senior Bowl's getting people's juices flowing, combines right around the corner. And, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it out there. It wasn't a monster trade, but I got Alshon Jeffrey and the 2-1 for the 2-7, so I moved up half a round, Antonio Callaway and Godwin. So two receivers I like, but I, I needed a starter, and I'm kind of in it to win it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I definitely like moving up. Uh, mm-hmm. half, half the second round. I think that will be substantial by the time the draft is is here. Let, let's go ahead and bring in our guest now. We've got maybe one of the preeminent experts on dynasty trading. <laughs> <laughs> you already know who it is now. After that laugh, we've got Nathan Powell, my buddy from DLF and from the Dynasty Tradecast. Nathan, how's it going, man? That that might be one of the more inaccurate uh, descriptions I've ever had about myself, but you know, well, I'll, I'll I'll take the compliments, Ryan. I, I appreciate uh, you having me on, and this is always a fun show to do. Yeah, yeah, we're glad to have you. I'm I'm just thinking you host the Dynasty Tradecast, and you send a lot of trade offers, so I think that qualifies. That's very true. Okay. That's very true. <laughs> well, let's let's start with that. Like I said, you you are one of the most active traders in my leagues. I know you're in a ton of Dynasty leagues. What success have you found in dynasty trades just from being active? So I believe this was the main topic from the last time I was on the dynasty blueprint. And that was the concept of sending bad trade offers. And uh, the number one way to uh, make good trades is when they're heavily in your favor. And so obviously you got to find the right guy to do that. But for me, people ask, why do you send bad dynasty trades or, you know, what's the point? But when you see a bad trade come through the, the email and it's not you getting the heavy, heavy favor, like, oh, Jim just stole from Larry. And it's like, it's so frustrating to see that happen. And so I'd rather it be me who's stealing from Larry and not Jim. But so Larry has to say yes, though. So. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but, but it's success in volume, Matt. If you, aren't sending out, if you aren't sending out tons of those offers, then none of them ever will ever get, no, not, none of them ever get, ever get accepted. I see what you're saying. Uh, I guess you can offend people, though. But you, you know, you I, leave, and they I know you that, are. I mean, it obviously depends on the person. But like, yeah. I've never gotten such a bad offer. I'm like, okay, I'm never going to send that guy an offer ever again. Sure. Um, and and if and if there is that person that says that, then I just won't make trades with that person. So you probably shouldn't be in the league to begin with that guy. <laughs> so let's let's stick with that then. If you're in a league and you see that happen, you see two other owners make a trade and you feel it's lopsided heavily in in one person's favor, what's your reaction to that? Do you automatically go send a trade offer to the guy who got ripped off? No, typically, it's the other way around. I'm actually making an offer to the guy who ripped the other person off and said, hey, like you just got a really good deal, but I'm going to let you profit on this. But also, I, I, I'm going to get what I consider a good value for the player that you just acquired or the pick that you just acquired. So 
a lot of people people will think, okay, well, because I got this player for X amount, if I'm going to get X plus 10, I think that's a profit. And they don't think about, oh, this player actually had X plus 20 in value. So you're saying like somebody trades a really good player for 110 and we're all going, wow, that guy's worth more than 110. Then you swoop in and say, hey, I'll give you 1.8 for him, even though he's worth two firsts. Right. Yeah, I, I see that logic. All right, so not only are you a, a volume active trader, but you're you're sending bad offers. So, <laughs> I, I'm, on I'm, purpose. Yeah, on purpose. I, I do recall now that that we have had this conversation before. And uh I don't know. I think I guess I guess it's even worse when you're sending bad offers not on purpose, when you when you don't realize that they're bad offers, right? I mean, I don't send offers where I just like you'll laugh in my face at how bad they are, but I will send below market value offers, which people will will then say, oh, well, that's a bad offer. So like, there's guys in my league. There's one dude that really stands out that always sends awful offers. Like if I see it in my inbox, I know I'm going to hit hit deny no matter what, because I've never seen one that I like from him. And I think his problem is, though, and I don't think you have this issue. He just likes his guys and overvalues his own players. And I think that's where a lot of bad offers come from. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely uh, can be an issue there. And for being a volume trader, whether you're sending a good offer or a bad offer, it's so important to keep up on the value. Look at ADP, look at trades that are going down, uh, you know, in whether it's the DLF Trade Finder or on Twitter. And those things just help you find, okay, what are, what are, what are each guy going for? And if you're going to say, like, send a, below market value offer, just send right below what you're seeing. Or if you're just trying to get the deal done, say, okay, this guy is going for two first. I'm going to go try and acquire for two first because I think he's worth three. That's what you're saying. And one last note on the the volume trading that I really like is, first of all, it's a heck of a lot of fun. I mean, trading is like one of the most fun things about Dynasty, but we're in it to win it the year. And I'm pretty, I feel pretty confident and cocky to say, if I make a hundred trades, I probably get a dollar one on the dollar most of the time. And that's then all of a sudden you got a buck 50 instead of, you know, if you only make 10 trades, you see what I'm saying? I, I think that for me, the volume trading is less about making the dollar one. It's I'm going to make a dollar 25 and then I'm going to lose 10 cents. I'm going to get a dollar mm. okay. uh, 30 and I'm going to lose 15 cents because it's all about the big victories for me and in, in avoiding the big losses. So as long as you can avoid trading for Josh Gordon right before he gets suspended and you can trade away Josh Gordon as soon as you get right before he gets suspended. And obviously that's a very specific example, but you know, Dynasty trading, yes, it can be a volume game of, of making the pennies and nickels, but I think it's more interesting and more fun to say, how am I going to be making that big 25 cent, 50 cent profit? Cool. I like. So, Nathan, let's go back to the beginning of a trade talk. What's your general strategy just for initiating those talks? Are you sending cold offers? Are you reaching out? I know not only are you an active trader in your leagues, but you're active in general. You're, you're building relationships with these people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the number one, at least number one for way for people who are in my leagues to communicate with me and as well as my league mates is the Voxer app, which is a walkie talkie app. It's basically like GroupMe or any of those uh, chat apps, but it has a voice component. So, I mean, I enjoy, obviously I'm on a podcast, so I enjoy talking. And so I, I think that Voxer adds a component where, you know, it's a lot easier to talk through a trade uh, verbally than it is hey, this and this and this and that, like all through, uh, you know, the written word. But there is a, a specific example of this. If someone s- s- says, what do you want for Todd Gurley? 99.99999% of the time, my answer is send me an offer on MFL. 
I'm not a big fan of making offers through DMs, through uh, messages, because I, I, I want it to be the real deal. I, if you're not making an offer, make it something that I can click accept if I really want, want to make the trade. Not that I have a huge, uh, you know, experience with people like backing out after saying, yeah, I'll do that deal in a message. But I honestly, I just try to avoid it by completely making my, my actual offer negotiations through MFL, through whatever site you use to play. How often would you say you send just a cold offer out of the blue without any communication to the other party? Uh, not, not very often. I, I mean, I would say like, especially like in season, if I find a player, if I, if I have a team that's winning and I'm trying to, you know, sell off like a young guy for a, a, a proven piece, I'll send like a few guys the same offer and, or not the same offer, but you know, uh, basically like, a young player for a win now piece or vice versa the other way around. If I'm rebuilding, I'm trading a win now piece, but I will try and communicate. Hey, like I'll send a message. Hey, by the way, I'm, I'm shopping uh, Devonte Adams. I'm looking to get a couple picks and a, and a prospect. So that type of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Ryan, how about you? How many, what percentage of trades do you send cold? I'd say most of mine, I think I do. Um, I don't think it's most for me, but probably the same kind of the same thing as Nathan. Um, I think there's, there's times where I, I just, maybe I just decide I really want to move a player for whatever reason. So I might kind of spam the league for a, a second round pick or something along the All lines right. of that. If I'm just ready to move, to move that player. Uh, so I, I might skip the communication in, uh, in that situation. But if we're talking about a bigger deal, multiple, multiple player deal or, something like that, then yeah, I'm, I'm usually reaching out via Voxer or Twitter or, uh, or email, something like that to kind of get the ball rolling that way first. I say most of the time, if there's a guy I want, um, all of a sudden I want Nick Chubb. Uh, I go to the Chubb owner of it. I make him an offer that he probably won't say yes to. He, he, I get a reject button. And then I probably send him an email back saying, Hey, what might he take? Uh, I don't know. That's more my, my approach, but I'm also old and I use email, not Voxer. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, let's skip to the, kind of the opposite end. How, how do you close a deal? Are are you willing to add that final piece if negotiations have maybe stalled, or if you feel like you're about to lose the trade? How do you handle that? There's more urgency with that uh, when it comes to, uh, I believe, you know, at the key moments of the league when you have a uh, rookie draft coming up, or during the season when it's coming to the trade deadline, then I'm more willing to say, okay, I really want to get this deal done. So I have to put in this, this asset. But I think that in a random, you know, April trade, I'm like, all right, if you're not going to make this trade with me, I'm not going to throw in that late second. Like, like there has to be some sort of urgency involved for me to like throw in the extra piece, unless the extra piece is like a a mid to late third. And that, then I'm fine doing it because most of the time I'm like, okay, how often is that going to change the value of a trade? Yeah, that's, that's fair. I think that's a good point about certain certain times of the season, the drafts, even the season approaching trade deadlines, things like that bring, uh, they do bring more urgency and and maybe change how deals are made. Um, I'm going to go off the board here a little bit, Nathan. What about when you get a a, a trade offer from another owner? I, I feel like a lot of times, and whether it's just because I'm busy or maybe I hadn't really been thinking about trade making a trade at that point, but a lot of times I'll just reject, you know, hopefully I make a comment. Sometimes I don't even do that and just kind of move on. How do you, when you get a trade offer that you're clearly not interested in, 
what's your strategy there? Do you always try to make a comment? Do you try to send a counter offer? What's the play? Uh, Dan, uh, my co-host on the Nice Tradecast, I believe he's been on this podcast as well a few times. Sure. Um, he affectionately calls me Mr. Counter because I, I'll make a counter to even the worst offers you can possibly send me. Now, there might there might be some ratio to you sending me a bad offer and that counter back is going to be equally bad. But I, I do think that there it's never hurt to send a, send a counter unless obviously you're sending a bad offer uh, for yourself. But for me, I try and counter every single offer I get. And the only reason I wouldn't is let's say they're making an offer. Let's say I had the one-on-one last year and I have no interest in dealing with Saquon Barkley. Then I just say, I make a comment and say, Hey, I'm looking to hold on to Saquon. I don't really want to trade this without getting a, a, you know, a King's ransom. So that's probably what I would say if I'm, you know, getting offered a player, got offered for a player, I don't want to trade. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where a guy is specifically shopping a, a specific player. And then it's like, yeah, I have no interest in Kelvin Benjamin because he's terrible. He's terrible. <laughs> I can just picture though, you getting a trade offer and it's awful. And you write back, and you're like, and you just write the exact same thing, but Odell Beckham's in it. You know, like give me just throw an Odell, and we got a deal. Like the, the, I can see this huge pendulum swing of awful trades going back and forth. <laughs> that yeah, yeah. I mean that that is one of the things that people say. Oh, like if you make me a bad offer, I'm going to offer my kicker for your whole team. I'm like that doesn't like. You can make a bad offer without it being the kicker for the whole team. The kicker for the whole team is never going to help anybody. But right. when, you, when you send a bad off, like a quote unquote bad offer that actually, you know, has some sort of legitimacy, then you're, you're giving some information like, hey, I'm interested in this player or I'm interested in dealing this player. So I, I'm just I'm not a fan of the kicker for the whole team type, uh, you know, uh, counter. Right, right, right. No, I know you're talking about it. <laughs> I've heard people in it and it seems like I've seen or heard this strategy a lot. People suggest don't make the offer for your actual target, but instead kind of throw your trade partner off the scent, I guess you could say. Make an offer for another player and then pivot to your actual target. Do you do you deal with any of that or do you just make the offer for the guy you want? I typically just go straight for the guy that I'm looking to acquire. Yeah. I, I think it's a bit of beating around the bush to say, oh, I'm going to send you an offer for your third best player, but I actually want your first best player. Um, so yeah, I, I tend to, uh, lean towards just going after who I want or trading who I want to trade. Yeah. I, I'm that way too, but it is a pretty good strategy. And in the end you're like, Oh, okay. I'll take Kenny Galladay. Oh, well, it certainly works better when it's like, okay, I actually want your third best asset and I'm going to start by offering for your first best asset. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. So let's, we, we said we were going to talk about trading specifically in the off season. Let's kind of steer the conversation that way. Nathan, do you see your your general trading strategy change at all when the offseason rolls around? Um, uh, the, the big thing for me is that during the season, particularly when I'm a contender, I'll, I'll think, okay, how is this going to impact my lineup? How is this going to impact, um, you know, this week and, and the coming weeks and how it impacts my playoff chances? But during during the offseason, as part of being a, a volume trader, you have to be a value trader where – if you're t- if you're getting the the dollar and two cent versus the dollar, you're taking the dollar and two cent every time based on you know the value you're projecting and the player having for the rest of the offseason slash even at the current moment. So, uh, yeah, I for me uh, my, my offseason strategy as far as trading, obviously that there's the basic things like okay, I need I want to acquire a starting quarterback in in the offseason and one quarterback because people are are more likely to trade their uh, quarterback when they're not worried about their lineup. Um, and tight end is kind of the same thing. But in, in general, my, my strategy changes from 
okay, what am I thinking about my lineup and how, you know, win now versus win later. Whereas I'm not worried about, you know, whether my team is a contender or not in February, because I think that I'm just trying to make the trade that's going to be the best value for my team. You mentioned quarterbacks and tight ends. That leads right into our next question. Do you think there's certain types of um, or, or certain positions that see those value changes? It sounds like you do. Yeah, I mean, it's not like an like immense value. Like it, it's not like uh, Deshaun Watson goes from being worth um, a, a early second to a late second. Um, it, it, it's very incremental, and it's more of a philosophy thing that people don't want to trade their starting quarterback when they're trying to make the playoffs and things like that. Um, but it's very small increments of value and value change, but it's something to take advantage of. You don't want to be the guy who's trying to make a trade for a bye week quarterback for an injury quarterback because people see blood in the water. They see, oh, you really need a quarterback, so I'm going to you know squeeze every value I can out of you. Do you ever take this approach? And that league I just mentioned, I made the trade, and I I, I looked at my team. I hadn't looked at it in probably a couple of weeks, and I'm like, I have Kittle, Ingram, and Henry. So. I got to move one of these guys. I'm obviously not going to give them away, but I can even move two of them. And then you find the five teams in the league that are weak at tight end and you start the, the offers that way. Yeah. When, when I have a lot of depth at a position, particularly yeah. one of the onesie positions, um, I, I'm certainly using the off season as a time to try and convert that, that value. And for me, I, I hate having value at the tight end position. Anytime I have a tight end, that's one of the top tight ends. I'm like, all right, how can I get this to a lower tight end and a better wide receiver, a lower tight end and a running back. But just speaking in general about positions and having depth at them, I, I think that the offseason is the best time to move depth at one position and convert it to a strength at another. Yeah, I think I think that's really well said. It uh, it kind of makes me think of one of my leagues where I have uh, – I already had Aaron Rodgers and Cam Newton going into the season, and then I also had Patrick Mahomes stashed as during his rookie year. So uh, now I've got all three of those guys, and – uh, two of them are losing value. Maybe I, I need to make a move pretty quickly. Or just trade Mahomes. Oh, is that what you would do? Yes, that's what I would do there. Oh, <laughs> you're not going to get anything for Cam. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Nathan. Uh, should We shouldn't have had you on. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, who are some players uh, that, that you would be targeting as, as players to buy this offseason? Yeah, my, my number one buys are usually looking at young guys, second, third year guys that have struggled earlier in their career that that have been, you know, highly drafted assets. Mike Williams had a decent year this year, but he still hasn't quite broken out. And so he and he hasn't he's to the point where he's more expensive than the day you drafted him. He's still cheaper than that. So, I mean, I'm fine trying to acquire him for a mid to late first. Rashad Penny's one of my top buys of the offseason because he, He's a guy who went from being valued as an early first to, you know, I'd be surprised if you can get any first for him right now. I certainly wouldn't give it without, you know, getting something a little bit on top. So uh, I, th- that's the archetype of player that I'm looking at. I'm looking at young players that were drafted highly in the NFL draft that um, that have struggled early on in their career and have lost a lot of value. Yeah, I like both of those calls a lot, especially, uh, especially Penny. We were talking recently on the DLF podcast, just about how difficult it is to buy any running backs uh, with this kind of trend of, of running backs becoming the the core of so many dynasty teams. I mean, you're not going to go out and trade for certainly Saquon Barkley or, or even McCaffrey or Kamara, those guys. Uh, I mean, they're just almost impossible to acquire and guys like Penny are, are really maybe where we need to focus. So I, I like that call for sure. What about sales? You already told me to sell my homes. I'm, my stomach's upset now. I don't know what to do. <laughs> who, who else? Who else are we selling? 
Uh, you're, you're selling two types of two, two archetypes of players. So selling players that were lowly drafted or undrafted and, and have uh, uh, had good success early in, the, in their career, like a, a Chris Carson or um, Philip Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay. Yeah, Lindsay was the next guy I was going to name. Yeah. Or there's the other thing. There's the um, late career vet who ends up, you know, shining in his fourth or fifth year. And uh, maybe Mike Davis calling him shining a little bit much, but still that type of player that didn't show much early in the, early in the career is a mid to low level, you know, draft pick, and then ends up flashing a little bit. That's actually more of the in-season sell, the Mike Davis, the guy who is flashing late in his career. Those guys typically don't have long lasting careers after getting a late start with production. Do you think it's safe to say low pedigree guys that shimmer at all get rid of? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, let's, let's just go back to Mahomes. You suggested in my situation, selling him, Obviously, he's the QB one in Dynasty right now. If you are selling him, what are you expecting? Oh, I mean, in one QB, it's so hard to tell. But uh, if I'm selling Mahomes in a one QB league, I'd want 105 at least. And I think you might maybe hard-pressed to find that. Maybe it's like Mahomes in a third for 105. But I I also think that, you know, you're not going to be able to buy from Mahomes for anything less than the 106, 107. Yeah, I agree. What's uh, it take you to get from Mahomes to like a Chubb or a Michelle or somebody like that? Early mid second. Hmm, I was Ooh. I was just say even more. Wow. Yeah, I yeah, would do I that. Yeah. True. I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm from a buyer's perspective. I was saying it, what that's what I would add to Mahomes to to get one of those players. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, let's hit on a couple other players that uh, have have been kind of trendy topics lately, and people are really trying to nail down their dynasty value and, and their trade value specifically. What about Antonio Brown? Do you see him as, as a buy or a sell and, and what's the price on him either way? Yeah. It's so tough to tell with Antonio Brown. Cause a lot of his guys are people who drafted him 101, 102 in the startup guys who think, okay, Antonio Brown is the next Jerry Rice. And he's still very could, well could be end up being, you know, that career longevity, you know, productive into the, in his early, into his early forties, the wide receiver position. Um, but I think that there's some doubts with his future with the Steelers and certainly Matt would know more about than, that than you or I, but I, I think that he's still worth, I mean, he might be creeping into the early second of a startup and at like, like you and like, I think Matt and Ryan would both agree with this. He's not the type of player I'm investing in at in the startup because I'm investing in appreciating assets. And even if he's the next Jerry Rice, he's still a depreciating asset. It's, it's going down a little bit from here. So I, I think that, um, just in t- terms of a, a trade market value, I, I would say he, he's worth an early start, second startup pick or a couple of early firsts. I have one AB nugget for you, and you guys probably heard this, but um, the only news I have since we got together last, Ryan, was the Pro Bowl happened, and my buddy Dale Lawley was there interviewing Steelers and whatnot. And the two biggest leaders on this team are Pouncey and Cam Hayward, and both of them were there at the, at the, at the, uh, the Pro Bowl, and they both pretty much told Dale that, we would welcome him back. You know, like th- that bridge isn't burned for the locker room, but that doesn't mean he's coming back. Yeah. Again, that'll, that'll be the story of the off season most yeah. likely. And and we had our Steelers episode last week. So right, we'll, we'll move, we'll on, move on. Uh, Nathan, what about Damian Williams? That's the last player we'll hit on uh, thoughts on him. Are you buying selling? He's, he still seems undervalued to me, actually. I, I think it kind of depends. And so I think that it, it can go on both ends of the spectrum where he goes for an early first, early to mid first. And you're like, whoa, not sure about that one. And then, but if you can get him for an early second, it's like, you know what, what, what's it hurting to get him for an early second? 
uh, one of the comparisons that I thought was apt, I saw someone make on Twitter, I don't remember who it was, uh, James Conner. Uh, just a picture of James Conner last offseason, except for there is no Le'Veon Bell because Kurt Kareem Hunt has been cut. So basically, if you're buying Damian Williams right now, you're buying on the fact, uh, on the guess that they're not going to invest in running back in free agency or in the draft, which I think is a possibility. But and we always say this with teams that are bad, like, oh, this team is so bad, they're not going to be able to invest at running back. The Bucs are so bad, they're not going to be able to invest at running back again, so Ronald Jones is going to get another chance. But the Chiefs are good enough that they could throw away a second-round pick at the, at the running back position, or they can throw some money at, at a, you know, uh, a Tevin Coleman or someone in free agency. So, obviously, I think the draft thing would be a little bit more uh, – likely because they have contracts to very talented players to pay. But still, I think that they are good enough to actually invest in the running back position. Especially with Spencer Ware being a free agent. Like, there, something has to happen. I mean, at a minimum, Ware has to come back or a mid-round pick. I mean, at a minimum, they can't just sit on their hands. Nathan, we open opened some things up to our listeners for some listener questions, only trade-related. And we got some good ones here. First question from Dana I'd like to hear about some some sort of players who would be tradable for the 101 in a 2019 rookie draft. So it, it seems like as of now, the 1.01 is not going to carry the, the value, especially the trade value, obviously that it did last year, but even that it has in the last three or four years probably. What do you think the one, 101 is worth when you're matching it up with specific veterans around the league? Brian, can I chime in here super quick? Because sure. uh, as the more draft prep I do, I think now's the time to buy the 101 because I think in two months from now when we're hosting the show, we're going to say Jacobs is the clear 101. Where right now I'm not sure oh, everyone. Matt, don't do that. <laughs> don't cry. What's wrong? You don't like him? Not not the one. I mean, uh, I mean I'll, I'll first I'll answer the question, then I'll get to the Yeah, right, good. Um, uh, this is not the time or the year to, to sell the 101. Um, I think that there's more upside in whoever you pick at the 101, whether it's Joshua Jacobs, Nikhil Harry, whoever it is has more upside than, than what the pieces that you're going to be getting in a trade. But as far as what I'd be looking for in a player, I, I mean, I'd be shooting for the Nick Chubbs, the uh, maybe Sony Michelle and add a piece. And I mean, a Devonte Adams, maybe, maybe you have to add something to Adams. Uh, I mean, add something to the 101 to get Adams, but I guess basically look at everyone who's being drafted in the, in the second round of startups right now. And that's my target for the one-on-one. And if I can't get that, I'll, I'll hold it until at, at the very least until the draft. Yeah. So you're certainly not ready to take a discount. We're still, we're still looking at kind of at that second round valuation, which is what we, uh, what we typically see the one-on-one topping out at last year, again, was an outlier as, as Barkley cracked the first round of ADP before he, even saw the field. Uh, so do you, do you have thoughts on Jacobs, Nathan? Uh, I, I, I just don't, I, I think we're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole and we're trying to say, Oh, this is the first guy that's looked like Alvin Kamara since Alvin Kamara. Therefore he is Alvin Kamara and projecting prospects at their ceiling this early on in the process seems like a mistake. So uh, limited production. Yes. I know he had very talented backs in front of him, but guess what? One of those talented backs in front of him is in this draft and he's not even being mentioned in the near one-on-one conversation or the first round NFL draft conversation. That's Damian Harris. So for me, I'm a production guy and I do, you know, shake my head at when I see a player being, you know, talked about highly in the NFL draft that didn't even get opportunities in the, 
you know, at his college team, which I guess is the Carvin example of Alvin Kamara didn't beat Jalen Hurd, but guess what? Now he's the best running back in the NFL. So certainly there's, there's times where fading the Joshua Jacobs is going to burn and that's called Alvin Kamara. But I think more often than not, if you fade Joshua Jacobs, you end up in the positive. All right. Definitely. He will be a hot topic. He's gone from essentially off the radar to, now in the conversation for 1.01, which is pretty crazy to me. Uh, I think I'm kind of somewhere in between you guys. I certainly think he's locked in uh, as a first-round dynasty rookie pick at this point, but I'm more comfortable with him after that group of, of four or five wide receivers that I still really like. Next question from Scott. How do you value 2019 rookie picks versus 2020 picks? Generally, future picks are viewed as lesser but the consensus seems to be that 2020 is loaded. Nathan, this is, I I think, a a really important topic that Dynasty players need to consider this season. The 2020 class is getting crazy hype, and and this always happens, that it doesn't take long before we're looking down the road the next year and, and becoming really excited about that class. I think we're pushing that a little too much. I, I Obviously, I'm impressed with the 2020 class, but I think we're taking or maybe we're not giving the 2019 class enough credit. And I certainly wouldn't flip equivalent picks. I'm not trading a a one six for a random first or anything like that. Are you? I I am not. I'm also on the board of I'll take this year's picks. And there's so much of a higher ceiling. Yes, there's a lower floor because players like Ronald Jones could bottom out. But I'm going to take the risk and take a player in this draft that's going to produce for me in year one and has the uh, possibility of being, you know, first round, second round startup pick if a young player performs that well. So I, for people who are saying, you know, trade the the 106 for a random 2021st, I don't quite get that. I, I think that if you have an inkling or if you see the team is not, not wet, not playing well, or not, not going to be a good team, they're going to be an early first. Sure. Take that swing, I guess, but that's not for me. If I could trade all my 2020 first for 2019 first right now, I would do it. Yeah, I think I would as well. Uh, at the same time, I like, I like the idea of stockpiling those 20, 2020 first as well. 2020 picks in general. Uh, I'm just so, not. I'm, I'm sorry. There's so much value of having that guy for this whole year until you get to draft the next one. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know uh, Brian Malone, who we've had on the show, kind of has the strategy of get as many of those rookies as you can right now. And then at this time of year, when a lot of those players have become overvalued, that's the time to sell. Next question from Tyler. How do you get other owners to not overvalue their own players? Matt, you talked about this earlier in the show, and, and it happens a lot. We seem to fall in love with our own players. We see only best case scenario with those players. And and that's obviously not going to lead to enjoyable trade talks. Uh, Tyler says he runs into that quite often. People think the guys on their team are worth more for some reason. Nathan, how do you deal with that? You just don't deal with them. <laughs> I, 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 don't have an answer. I, I mean, there isn't really a way to say, Hey, you don't really like Alvin Kamara that much. Like, no, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna like Alvin Kamara that much. So uh, I think that. Um, you know, basically avoid trading with them. And if you have a whole league of them, this is the argument for joining more leagues. Like, hey, if you're having trouble finding trades in one league, just go to another. Because you know, I there's vol- there's volume trading is good because you get more trades done. And if you're a good trader, then your teams are going to get better. Playing in more leagues, if you're good at dynasty and you play in more leagues, you're going to get more money. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a good answer for for Tyler's question either, Nathan. I was hoping. 
uh, you had the the magic well, boxer. spell for the, that. The, the, the real answer is boxer. Just you know, communication. Communication. Yeah. yeah. You know, a good strategy though is when you have a bunch of Twitter followers, just start putting stuff out that this guy's terrible that you really want. That does not work. <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen people try it though. Or, or mention on Dynasty Blueprint how bad Kamara is. Trying to <laughs> That that's that's not the route I'm going to take, but yeah, I've, I have seen it done. I don't know how successful it was. Uh, next question from Stevens, uh, kind of a similar situation, I guess. Uh, one of my leagues, about half the owners don't care, uh, and getting them to talk trades is more difficult than milking almonds. Stephen says, "I love to trade, and I'd love for them to be more active." Nathan, you kind of addressed this already, but the interesting suggestion Stephen had in his question is, he said, "Do I trade a?" trade away my team for cheap should he no should he take <laughs> should he take below market value just to get the league kind of jump started no <laughs> you shouldn't <laughs> sacrifice your own team for the sake of the league if that's the issue the league might end up folding soon anyways so sounds like uh, a bad league to begin with yeah and i i i don't i've never seen a team i mean i've never, I've never seen league be saved by bad trades Right, so he should quit that league and find another league, or or continue, or have that league and add another. Like you know, there's there, there's no shame in having an, a non-active league. It's just not as fun. And chances yeah. are, I have a feeling that I, I've noticed that the non-active owners usually don't aren't all that good of owners either. So it might take you a while to build the team you want, but if you're the best and most active owner in that league, it might not be long before you're king of that league too. Next question from Bobby, and I've seen this one. Uh, this one floating around a few times as well. Bobby says, how would you handle owning the 1.01 if you just won the uh, recent championship? Bobby says he traded for the pick that became the 1.01 and just wants to know how to handle it. Do you see, Nathan, do you see a player in this class or multiple players, I guess, having value to a contending team? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly the running backs will have more immediate value to a contending team, but I don't really look at my team building that way. I, I see it as, okay, I, I have a stack team and now I have the 101. This is how I'm going to have Nikhil Harry as my wide receiver six. And in two years, that's going to seem like a very good idea to have Nikhil Harry as your wide receiver six. That's how you build super teams. But I mean, if you're if you're going to say, okay, I have a contending team, I have a team that I want to win now, and I want to trade the 101, then that's the type of move where you take a third round, fourth round startup guy, throw on the 101, and then you go big chasing after a Saquon Barkley, a Christian McCaffrey, and you're like, okay, I love my team, but guess what? It just got that much better because I had a Christian McCaffrey. What about the strategy of somebody you like that won't start for you that's a good young prospect and then the 21st or something like that? So you – you, know, you stay very competitive, and then a year from now, I'm like, wow, I'm really loaded with picks. Yeah, that's that's not a bad idea either. <laughs> uh, Matt, are you talking about selling the 1.01 for, for that? I mean, if my team was loaded and I had 1.01, although I'm, I just said I think 1.01 is going to go up in value in these next couple months, so right. I don't know if the timing's correct. But I would think maybe Kenny Galladay is not the right guy, but give me Galladay in your future first, and I'll give you one. You know, somebody that I really like that's – only going to get better and I'm not going to miss having an early pick this year and next year wow maybe Antonio Brown got old and he won me championship you know what I mean like yeah yeah I mean with the the value of Galladay and the value of the 101 I think you actually be hard-pressed to get a first on top I know he's just yeah. a, or an example, a example but yeah 
All right, Nathan, next question. This is one that you mentioned on Twitter as well that you liked. Uh, you have a stack team, but you start 0-4. Uh, maybe maybe just a, a rough schedule. You're playing some of the high-scoring teams in the league, but your team is scoring well. Uh, what's your next move in that situation? In, in this situation, you've been given a gift. Uh, some may say, hey, you're, you just lost your buying and your team stinks. Uh, but you know what? No, the gift here is that you trade – all of your starting quarterbacks and starting tight ends, and you play backup NFL quarterbacks, backup NFL tight ends, and you ride that 0-4 all the way to a 3-11 and you know 11 season. <laughs> and then you get – I mean, obviously this is – if you did this 12 months ago, it didn't end up quite as well because the 101 doesn't have the same value. But if you have a super team and you add the value of a Saquon Barker, you add the value of a, you know, a Cam Akers, that – whether it's the player or whether it's the tra- um, a trade in, in the future with that that involved, involving that, you just turned a super team into even more super team. So yes, you're you know forfeiting one year of buy-in, but I've always made the and this okay. This is kind of similar to people have always talked about. Would you rather have the 101 or a championship? And my argument is always yes. It's nice to have a championship, but I think the 101 nets more than just one championship. He can net, it can net you two championships. It can net you two championships in a second place. Yes, it's there's guarantee and it's immediacy with I'm going to win a championship, but. With a pick and a player as value as the high as the one one, I, th- I think it's worth more than than a championship. Yeah, I think I think most people would disagree with that, Nathan. But they, but they you, do, you, they do. But I make the argument for it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so I, I guess the only thing I would say, or the only caveat I would I would add to your comment is if you're in a league like so many leagues now that re- have one of those playoff spots, or maybe two or more of those playoff spots, going to uh, high point scores, then then you just keep going, right? You're not making those deals then. No, no, no. Yeah, if in, in a, like a standard league, zero and four is kind of hard to, to crawl back out of, even with a really good team. But when you have victory points, or if you have uh, wild card spots for points, then you know don't give up on your team there. All right, Nathan. Our last question from Matt. Matt says, "Can you talk about crafting deals so that both sides can get to a yes?" Most trade deals are approached with how can I win this deal rather than what is best for both teams. Uh, that Maybe that kind of goes against your strategy that you mentioned at the beginning of the show, Nathan. But uh, at some point, to make a deal, obviously you have to get to a, a position where both uh, both sides are comfortable with it. How, how do you go about that? Are you looking at weaknesses of the other team? What What's the plan? I think that can be overblown for the most part. People think, oh, I'm going to go target the team that has no running backs and try and trade him Devonta Freeman. I, I think that people know what their needs are. And if they really want to, uh, you know, punt running back, then they're not going to acquire one. If they really want to tar- target one, they're going to target one. So certainly you can get ahead of the curb and, and look at I It's better than not doing it at all, but I do think it gets overvalued a bit to say, oh, this team is, is missing this position. So um, but as far as like getting both sides to a yes, I, I think that it's not really your job to get. I mean, yes, it is. In order for you to get a, a trade completed, you have to get the other person to say yes. But they need to tell you through counters and conversation how you can get them to, to a yes. So I I let them tell me how I'm going to get to the yes. And then I'll tell them, all right, well, I'm going to do that to get you the yes. Or, yeah, see you later. Like, I, I'm not worried about getting your yes. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. You. You know, you can only do so much. You can't obviously force uh, those trades to happen and uh, just have to make the best offer for your team and and hope it works, I guess. Lead them to water, but. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Nathan, are you working on any trades right now? You made any trades recently? Uh, yes, I did make one. Let me pull it up, and I'll let you guys tell me how bad it was. Uh-oh. Okay, bring it on. It may have been a patented uh, Nathan drunk trade. <laughs> All, right. All right, here we go. Uh, Nathan Powell sent Kenyon Drake, Wendell Smallwood, Kenny Galladay, and Deshaun Hamilton for Darius Geis, John Ross, Justin Watson, and Dallas Goddard. Basically, breaks down to Galladay and Drake mm-hmm. for Geis, Ross, Goddard. I think Ross is going to be their Brandon Cooks, by the way. Whoa. <laughs> what? Whoa. You, need, you need to go buy John Ross in every league then. <laughs> well, I think he's going to be used that way. You know, I think Boyd is going to be their cup. AJ Green is going to be their Woods. And Ross is going to be their Cooks. And I think they'll invest heavily in O line. Since he's a sleeper by offense for me right now because of the coach coming in. I, I definitely feel a little better about things with the coach coming in, but I think my computer just melted on that <laughs> after that take. <laughs> that, ooh, John Ross, I don't know. I don't I, I can't get on board with that. Uh, Nathan, I thought you. I thought it was interesting you said it's basically Galladay and Drake. I kind of think it's Galladay and Hamilton. I'm just, I'm kind of done with Drake. I don't know that he has much trade value. I think Hamilton's actually worth more right now. I mean, I, I, as a former Drake apologist, I would highly disagree with that. Um, but I think Hamilton, he's just, you know, just a guy. He's a guy who's going to be like an NFL wide receiver three and fantasy wide receiver four or five at best. Um, so I, I guess my question here by presenting this trade to you guys, are we are we buying guys with some, some people worried about the injuries? Or are you saying, eh, I don't know about this after, you know, complications with the injury? No, I, I love the deal for you. Um, I, I am buying guys, especially if I'm getting any kind of discount. I'm worried about Galladay with this coaching staff, especially the change at offensive coordinator. I don't think that's going to be great for him. I like Goddard as buy. I think Goddard's probably a little overvalued right now, but I think I think you got him at a good value in this deal. Drake, I think, has almost no trade value, and Hamilton. While I while I said I think he's worth more than Drake, I agree. I also agree with you that I think he's uh, he's a nice sell right now. Take advantage of that. So I, I love the deal for you, actually. Oh, even though even though you don't think John Ross is Brandon Cooks, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even consider Ross. <laughs> All right, Nathan. Thanks uh, thanks for joining us, and thanks for listening to the Dynasty Blueprint. We'll be back next week. 